and welcome to the Carbitrage Podcast, episode 115. I am Eric Berger, joined as always by my co-host, Ryan Snitsky. Hello, sir. Hi, actually, I am Ben Stein. Well, today you are, because you're sick. Yeah, I've got a cold, so I just sound like Ben Stein. I'm sorry, If you want to like, work in more of his mannerisms, I'm actually totally okay with that. I'll see what I can do. It might happen more in episode uh, 116, 16, once I'm more in character. <laughs> But uh, all right, well, I, I look forward to the next several hours that we will be in front of these microphones. So. Yes, and then you just—I'll be in a monotone voice the entire time. <laughs> um, For dry red podcast, there's carbitrage. <laughs> instead of instead of having Darren be on the podcast next episode, let's go. Darren Brooke, Brooke, oh, Brooke Adamson. All right, where is Darren Brooke? <laughs> Here. <laughs> Um, that should be his intro. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, before we start up on topics, I just want to quick plug our Patreon, since yeah. that is now the thing I do at the beginnings of the episodes. Especially since I'm Ben Stein. Yeah, so I'll just handle this bit. Um, Patreon is a crowdfunding sort of way of directly supporting content producers like us. Uh, basically, we've got two levels. Uh, we may expand to more in the future, but we've got $1.50 a month, and we have a $5 a month level. Uh, both of which are detailed and laid out on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash carpetrage. Uh, feel free to head on over there and just check it out, even if you don't feel like doing anything for us. Um, we'll keep doing the podcast either way, but I'm still going to keep hammering it in. So there you go. Yay. All right. So <laughs> let's, um, I'll start off with my first topic here. Sounds good. This actually is not a story. This is, well, this is a story. It's not a news story. This is a story of what happened to me in real life. Well, tell me, Ben. Well, so... We had a customer, I work at a Volkswagen repair shop, for those of you who are new and haven't heard. Um, but we have a customer that brought in a 23 window. Uh, oh, like the Samba, whatever. Yeah. The, the big valuable one. The $120,000 one, which yeah. he uh, got at Mecham uh, in September, uh, which was actually 120 I think, five. After. Actually seems like a pretty good deal for a 23 window. Well, we, were, but we found out quickly why it was 125000 Oh, okay. The brakes went out immediately. Oh, nice. First drive, Don't need those. steps on the brakes, um, and he's, like, in traffic, and has, like, the ultimate butt pucker, <laughs> and, um... And let, let's preface that. I mean, the brakes on that thing, when they were new, weren't good. No, this four-wheel drum, <laughs> it's single circuit. Yeah, and it's non-power-assisted. Yeah, exactly. So you're, like, you're going for it. So, yeah, this guy blows out, he has the brake line that blows out, has to uh, engine brake it and yank on the parking brake. And mm-hmm. gets down to about, like, uh, just under five miles an hour when he meets the car in front of him and just puts a dent in his front end, which is fine. But, like, it's one of those things where, like, if he'd been going 15 miles an hour faster, he would have probably died. So, the, I'm imagining the bill was pretty steep for the brakes, but I assume after you guys worked on it, or before even, it went to a cleaner's and was steam cleaned for all the feces that were in the driver's seat, right? Yes, it was It was steam cleaned before we got it, and the body okay. works hadn't been sorted. Okay. But uh, it, it was still the most expensive vehicle we've ever had in our shop. <sighs> I think actually at at its exact moment in time it was probably the most expensive valued car I've ever driven. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, when do you ever drive a car that's actually worth more than like 70, 80 grand? Yeah, and well that's the thing. That's what I was thinking about. It's like I've driven a 930, but it wasn't a turbo, but yeah, it was like super clean. Yeah, it was an $80,000 car. Um several Maseratis, but they're you know, they'd appreciate the second you get them. So that's they're $12, all $12,000. Yeah, they're all $12,000. Um all the Mercedes I've driven have been 
not at their peak value point when I've driven them, but they've okay. later gone up in value. Is that? I think I choose to believe that that is not only correlation but causation. Yes, yeah, because I drove it. Yeah, yeah, yeah this so, is causation. As soon as you get uh, a trans and Blubsky, you should drive it once just so it like explodes in value. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> All right. So anyway, I'm driving this, and like he says, yeah, the brakes don't really work. He says it like that, euphemism and everything don't really work. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to pull in. I pulled into the shop because it's being a rain. And I, I don't trust these weather seals from California. And I step on the brakes. I've got a technician in front of me. And I've got an Audi S, uh, S4 in front of me. And I've got a uh, alignment machine in front of me. All these things are worth a lot more than, you know, $5,000. Um, the technician, even? Yeah. Probably. Oh, okay, cool. So I, wait, I'm, like, pulling on the parking brake. And, like, the parking brake's barely working. I come to a screeching halt within inches of the Audi S4 in front of me. Um, well, at least you knew where the parking brake was and how to actuate it. Yeah, that, that's exactly why I, I, I was the one that was driving it. Because I'm like, me and like one of the really old technicians, Brian, um, are the only two people that know anything about the early type ones. Right. Uh, like intimately, I should say. Because I mean, everybody knows about it, but like we, we're very familiar with them. Anyway, so we get the we get the carpet in there. I forgot what's going on with the brakes. Somebody had... Pr- had so when the car is being restored... It looks like what I assume happened was they were running behind schedule and they rushed through doing the brake system before they could get it to auction. What do you mean? Just like no new wheel cylinders, no new master. Wheel cylinders were, everything was brand new, hmm. but like they hadn't adjusted anything. Oh, yikes. So brakes were like totally out of adjustment. The wheel bearings hadn't been set properly. So the wheel is like almost ready to fall off. Nice. And then the. Are those um, like the castle nuts and the inner yeah. outer. Yeah. Yep. And then the um, the brake line that goes from the top uh, wheel cylinder to the bottom, because it's got a dual wheel cylinder front brake. Really? Yeah, it's really cool, actually. That's what they did for a front brake. never brakes. heard of that. Yeah, so you have a single rear, a single cylinder in the rear, and then on four-wheel drum cars, so you have a dual cylinder hmm. up front. And they have this kind of like S-shaped brake line that goes through it. Well, they had bent this brake line down just a little too much, and it went under the clip it was supposed to go into, not over it. And the wheel okay. bearing had shredded through the brake line, oh, and so that's, that's what caused the brakes. Yeah, and not only that, even if they were working a little bit, now the brake linings are completely drenched in DOT four, mm-hmm. no longer working. Yeah, no, it, but we we got it like working quickly, so he could just bring it back to his um, to his quote unquote toy box, um, <laughs> in which the guy owned. I'm not even kidding. Fourteen Porsche three fifty sixes, half of which had Foreman quad cams. Oh, yeah. Dude's got a lot of money. He didn't like. Does he have that warehouse in Northeast or North yeah. Minneapolis? Northeast, yeah. Northeast, yeah. Like, yeah, Russ, super nice. Yeah, yeah, Russ, he's a super, super cool guy. I didn't know he had a twenty-three window. He just bought it. Oh, well, there so, you go. <laughs> that's why. But yeah, he Tom um, knows him really well. I think. Yeah, he's a really good guy. Um, he's like super duper nice. He he reminds me of my uncle Ralph a lot. Still right. have yet to meet him, but. Yeah, uh, from the stories I've heard, I think that is just accurate. Like, just like the dude's maximum <laughs> chill at all times. The dude like just doesn't have a worry. Oh yeah, man, that's cool. And uh, as my friend um, Bjorn said, uh, once you collect wooden boats, you officially have too much money. Yeah, because he's got a wooden boat collection as oh, well. I didn't know that. Actually, I did know that. Yeah, because they're in a separate part of his warehouse. Yeah, they're in the and closet. And they're all immaculate. Yeah, and they're like, he's like world record holders like from like the 1930s and stuff. It's all very, very cool, very like neat stuff. i go there. I can't remember. Was it Nick maybe that was telling me? Yeah, he does a uh, open house in the spring. Okay. So yeah, when I he does one, I'll, I'll invite you. But yeah, we should go there. That's on my short list of my favorite car collections in Minnesota. 
That's fair. That's a very good I mean, question. it doesn't have much of a, a breadth to it. It's all the same exact thing, but whatever. Yeah, but it's like... Yeah, it, I mean, it is that, but it's like seeing somebody has a Ferrari collection, and it's not just a bunch of Ferrari 360s and, <clears throat> the, and 308s. Who's that British television <laughs> presenter that has an enormous collection of Ferraris, but they're all white? It's Oh, no, it's the old Top Gear host, that Chris... Evans guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got just a massive collection of, of really rare Ferraris. Ferraris, and they're all white. Yeah, weird. It's just super strange. Like, you should just get him in Rosso Corsa, but he wants to be different. So, something that's like fair. That. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. It matches his house, I guess. I don't like him, though. Yeah. Russ is much cooler. Yes, my, my, Russ is a very cool guy. Anyway. Well, so, yeah, yeah nothing will pucker your butt like a $100,000 car with no brakes at all yeah like none do they make a retrofit dual circuit master cylinder you can put into those things yeah oh yeah no you totally can like you can totally just like get like a dual c- a cylinder master cylinder from like a 72 okay or so and they'll oh, just save it later right on in. they had it yeah okay so but then you have to like redo every single brake line and everything so right. it's like i was actually just before you came down and well just before i went out on the deck and started drinking beer i was working on the o2 yeah um i got my brake flaring tool to work so i was making hard lines yeah and i got everything plumbed in filled with brake fluid no leaks. Okay. Then I put five pounds of pressure on the system. And then it exploded. <laughs> and no, and the front left hard line started leaking at a junk, at junction. So I replaced that. And now it's holding 10 pounds right now. No leaks. But I have no fluid flow through the uh, clutch circuit. And I have no fluid flow through the rear brakes. So it's probably plugged up from like old trash in there. Yeah, probably. Take, so. a, take an air hose and run that, through, run that right up into the line and just blow it out. Yeah. Yeah, the the only problem is my wheel cylinders don't have bleeder screws on them anymore. No, no, no. You you take the you take the um the line off the wheel cylinders on each side. Oh yeah, I can do that. Yeah, because I mean the wheel cylinders you know fucked. The wheel cylinders fucked. It's a lot bigger of a deal if it's the brake hard line itself going underneath the car. Yeah, luckily those are new now. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that helps. I'd see it, it. You know, maybe that's got blockage somewhere in it. You know, and if it's not, it's a wheel cylinder. Which oh my god, you can totally just get those at literally any AutoZone. So not. I can't find wheel cylinders for my car. They don't Seriously? Exist. They're not 2002 wheel cylinders. They're, they're unique to the 67-1600. Surprise! Yay! Uh, go me! And I wish one of the disc brake rear retrofits would work. And they don't? I run 13-inch wheels, so even the Volkswagen no one, it's yeah. like some 13s, and these aren't on that list. Um, but what I'm actually thinking Why is happening you? is the uh, the rear brake soft lines are not stainless steel, and the front ones are. So I think the rear ones are swollen shut. Oh, I... I yeah, take those off so and just, just blow those, those out as well. Well, they're if they're small, I'll show you have to replace them. But yeah. like, it's super common on old cars. Yes, it is. Like, well, people also, misdiagnose it as like seize calipers all the time. I'm like, no, your brake line just failed. Yeah. Well, another thing that happens is like just from all the shit that's in the the you know the brake fluid, it will all collect up on that. Yep. So yeah, especially it's the same. a car that hasn't been on the road in 12 years. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like just unbolt it and just blow it through, yeah. and then if it blows through and doesn't leak, then you know. But like, I have, you gotta, I have front brakes. Yay, it's almost drivable. It's so right? close. It's so close. Like, I have to put the throttle body on it, and then I've got to, like, finish wiring the uh, Ford EDIS 4 ignition controller under the dry- or passenger seat, and then that's pretty much it. So, it's it's getting there. My friend out in Michigan, he runs a website and a shop called Classic Daily. Yeah. Jake, uh, he works on a lot of E30s and E10s. Okay. And I convinced him that the Honda K-Series was the future of BMW swap engines. So, last week, he went and found an element being parted out in Michigan, and he bought the motor out of that thing. So now he has a K24A4, 
sitting in his shop, and he said he's going to make a mount set and a pan for the E10. And that's his first priority, and then after that he'll probably make it for E30 as well. So I am curious to see how quickly he will do that. He seems super jazzed on this, so if he the, does it the quickly... The E10 is the BMW 2002 Right, yep, yeah. so that's what I've got downstairs. And honestly, if he finished his mountain pan set before I got that running, I would put the K yeah, totally. 1600, so. That'd be a perfect engine. Which is why I'm working on the brakes and clutch right now. <laughs> and not, not the, the engine. engine management system. I mean, I've got like $800 into that engine harness, yeah. but it doesn't matter. Yeah, because you have a way cooler engine swap. Right. Yeah, the K is great. But he's like, why don't Megascore the K? I'm like, dude, it has IV tech. You want somebody that spent like a billion dollars tuning the ECU. Well, not only that, it's really not that hard because you can get um, Rywire. They make k-series tuck harnesses that will go into pretty much any car and then you just get a uh another k-series ecu and then it'll just bolt right on you can kinda because yeah the rywire harnesses are based on like the k24 a2 and yeah. the k20 a whatever the type s yeah rsx is and those don't work straight up with these engines okay and um i've done an unfortunate amount of research on this just because um the the element and the accord share the same harness and the same computer. It's a it's a PND I think. Yeah. And that works with K uh, K tuner, but not K Pro. So the best option I've found just for cost effectiveness is to run the stock element or accord computer, the stock engine harness, and a K tuner. Because okay. the full K tuner, it's a it's a drop in board essentially for yeah. the ECU, just yeah. like K Pro is, and it's like eight hundred dollars. With an ECU core, it's like, it's really not that bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. And then, like, there's no more immobilizer, and you've got, like, the factory tune, so it works, and yeah. then you can also modify things and, like, run a turbo later, because he's planning to make four or 500 horsepower turbo. That's and that, that's that's what you're making on Brexit, and that's, like, way too much for you. It's way too much, and this is this is a car that weighs 1,800 pounds. Like, if I get stock element horsepower out of that, which I will... Yeah, it'll be insane. Plenty. Like, that engine there is a pretty healthy 1.6, and it makes 100 horsepower. Yeah. So like and that, as opposed to like, like one yeah, as like one seventy or so like out of a, the element because the yeah. elements you have like the most detuned one and you can actually right. get more power just from switching intake manifolds and doing stuff the like beauty that. Beauty is my element engine, the one I took out of senior, yeah. is an A three, not an A four. So it's an Accord motor. So it's yeah. a little tiny bit better. So what you can do with that actually is um, the RSX Type S uh, intake manifold. Yeah. Um, I, f I forgot what that's... It's I like actually have to buy a Skunk 2 intake manifold because it's the only one that has a plenum you can flip the other direction. Okay, as I say, yeah, because the, um, the uh, RSX one, uh, that one actually adds uh, quite a bit of power. Yeah, so, and, then the and I've, I've been told you can put the uh, K20A VTEC actuator on it and tune it out because you can't run the full advance yeah. on the K24, but if you run the better actuator with like 41 degrees of total advance or whatever, like you can get a lot of power out of those. I think it's just better to do the hybrid, putting the K20 head on it. But at that point, you got to run a ported like RSX oil pump on it, and just I I just want a stock. Like I love the fact that it's an Honda Element engine. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it, you you you're gonna make plenty of power, and if you really want, you can go a full Honda guy on it and totally fuck around and with like just a bunch of stock parts, like double the output. Because I'm yeah. guessing like just like I'm gonna have to make some custom exhaust. I'm going to have a really really good flowing intake manifold and big throttle body. Like, yeah. That engine should make almost 200 horsepower, I'm guessing. Oh, easily. Even easily. with the stock element cam in it. Well, the K that's the beauty or of the K-Series. That's why K-Series has taken over like everything in the Honda world. It's just like, 
you can make just ludicrous amounts of power on them yeah. with very little effort. Yeah, I mean, I, I read like the threads of like even if you don't swap the head, like you can make two hundred and forty horse with a K twenty four. It's yeah. like valve springs, cam, VTEC actuator, and a tune. Yeah, and like that's it's that's like about nothing. it. Yeah. <laughs> and like it, obviously supporting breathing mods, but. Yeah, it, it really does not take anything at all to make power on these cars. And I do even not th- know why everyone doesn't put Ks in everything. It, it, this is actually the reason why, and this is why I have a B-series for Janna's car and a D-series for my Civic, is because up until the last five years, yeah, it was way cheaper to get B-series stuff, and now B-series stuff is, like, next to free. That's really? why. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no, I can get... So when we do Janna's... Surprising. When we do Janna's engine swap... um. I need to get a exhaust manifold. I want to get a better one because I just have an eBay whatever on just to like sure. have it run. But when I get a decent one, I can get uh, you know the busy moto exhaust manifold that they made for the uh, H series that was like totally ridiculous, looked like a knot of pipes. That, no, I can't say I have seen that. Oh, uh, maybe throw it up on the screen for. Uh, you said H uh, series. Yeah, <clears throat> BC, uh, busy moto H series exhaust manifold. But uh, basically, this is a H-Series exhaust manifold that was, like, $1,000 back in the day. And it was yes. dyno-proven to give, like, 25 horsepower on a 160-horsepower engine. It's, like, pretty insane. This one? This one? Yeah, yeah, like that. So, basically, there's a company called um, PLM, uh, and they do... Uh, Image location, there it is. Anyway, uh, so PLM does uh, replica exhausts of discontinued exhausts, and they make a version of this for the uh, the B series. Do it's they run the 400... same firing order? Yeah. Okay. But it's a it's a it, it's like this, but just adapted to the B series. Sure. Um, and that is four hundred dollars for the. That's a pretty good deal. That's an insane deal for that. Basically, I assume this is equal length. That is that is actually an equal length, yeah, and that was. Actually, down proven to give like 20, 25 horsepower depending on the engine. Because we're talking like 1.8 liter engines. It's 2.2 on the H series, yeah. Oh, but yeah, still. but I was talking B series. Well, I, yeah, but that's the thing is on the B series and everything, like it, it, it does scale. It provides like something like 25% well, more power. The B series spins so fast. Yeah. So that's something with the B. And then also when we do the carburetor. I like the B series. We do the carburetor setup. Like that's by far the most expensive part because the. I've uh, never seen a B in an Accord. Yeah, they're, it's because they, they don't make sense for any other Accord other than the first three generations. Because they're light enough or what? No, because uh, after the, the CB generation Accord and on yeah. was actually closer to a Prelude than it was the Civics and Integras, whereas the, the third generation Accord is this like weird like kind of hermaphrodite of like Integra and Civic <laughs> like put together. Um, in the early, the first two generations Accords were basically just a stretch Civic. Okay. So it wasn't really until the fourth generation where they got like, like basically a prelude sedan out of it, and so, yeah, that's why you never see Accords with B series swaps because <laughs> you know you, you put a B series into an Accord, you suddenly, yeah, you you make, you know, more horsepower, but you have such a drop off in torque, your zero to sixty is like yeah, just takes that takes a shit. I mean, you can always well, I mean, you NA can. with carbs would be cool. Yeah, and well, and that's the thing. That's why I'm doing NA with carbs on the on the B series with the third gen because that makes sense. There are swap kits available, all in with carbs and everything. It's fifteen hundred dollars. That's really good. Yeah, I mean, there's almost nothing but, I can buy from my car that's that cheap. Yeah, I should I should I should say I should say I did build the engine previously, and that engine itself was also probably about fifteen hundred dollars worth of work, and that was 
11 and a half to one compression bottom end that was used that was known to be good. Um, blueprinted cylinder head, CRV camshafts. Uh, CRV cams came out of a B20, so they're actually a little bit larger cams. So they're equivalent to like a stage one cam from okay. uh, Skunk 2. Well, because Skunk 2 is stage one where it's like yeah, I, I know. stage two, stage Just, three. Well, Skunk just... 2 has been around long enough for the stage thing. Like, I can't be mad at them for that. Yeah. And, well, it's it's when they make like several different camshafts for one application. Yeah. Like, that and makes if sense. if you don't know enough to read lift and duration. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just easier to see stage one. All right, cool. It's a street cam. Stage two those, is like uh, street race. Are those VTEC engines? Uh, do they have separate profiles? For they, that or no? Yes, they are. They okay. do have an option for it. We're doing non-VTEC, though. Okay. Because we're doing carburetors. And that makes sense. I'll be running crazy rich if I'm doing VTEC. <laughs> like, all the time, except from in VTEC. <laughs> or I'll blow it up when I have VTEC. So, like, no, it's a terrible idea. Um, and actually, our setup that we're doing, our B-series setup, that I've put together for effectively, what, it would be 30, probably $3,200 all in to get it into the car, including building the engine. Mm-hmm. That is the recipe that Tony Fuchs had to build the world's first 10-second Integra. Hmm. So, like, that, that's... He did that on carbs? Yeah, he did that on carbs, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's it. That's literally what he did. <laughs> that's great. So, God, that's so fast. Imagine yeah. a Hellcat-level speed Integra, um, uh, CA Accord. Yeah, it'd be that's hilarious. Ridiculous. So Yeah, that's totally why we're doing that. Fair enough. So, that's fair. And it's like, if it wasn't for the fact that that was so cheap to build that, I would totally put in a K-Series. 100%. <laughs> Yeah, I mean things change. I'm I'm just so used to the only time I've been paying attention to Honda stuff, it's been like K's are like free. Yeah. So, but so I, like, I get that's a little more um, recent, and I even like K Pro, like, that hasn't been around for that long. No, it's been around for probably about what ten, fifteen years. And yeah. K Tuner has been around for like three. Yeah. Like it's not long. It's been K Tuner was really the thing that made it like possible for everything to just go K. Right, because, I mean, you took the humdrum, like, the legit $350 jet carrier motors, and you can just... It's a four-cylinder LS. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. It's... And they, like, they arguably have more potential and way more power density than an LS, which oh, is absolutely. incredible. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely way more. Well, it's because the... I mean, if you look at it, I mean, this is Honda, which is, you know, Honda. They do small four-cylinders. Uh-huh. And this is them putting 100% of their engineering efforts <laughs> right. into an engine that will be used for the next 15 to 20 years of existence. And that's existence. the thing, that K is still in production. Yeah, and that that's exactly what they did that for. Um, it's kind of like Honda's, like, it's Honda's equivalent of, a, of like, a Subaru EJ, where they put every bit of their engineering effort into doing one single product that's going to last forever in their production series. I'm really glad that the EJ is gone, though. Yeah, I mean, it's not gone yet. It isn't? No, it's still an STI. Really? Yeah. They haven't swapped that to an FB yet? No. They're doing it next generation, though. Okay, good. It's like 2021, The EJ needs to go away. I just, I I want the EJ to be in production for 50 years. It's better than the EA, for sure. Vastly superior. But the FB is so much better. That is true. Except for the rod bearings, which seem to just snap. Yeah, but you could always just change those. It's better than head gaskets. Or you could just run a K-series, which is reliable and powerful. we found the real answer, That's the correct answer. It's a Honda K-series. It's, like, the best engine. If you can't fit a fourth-gen small block in something, throw a K in it and call it good. Yes. All right. In fourth, it goes rotary. If you can fit something larger than a rotary, you put a K in it. Anything larger than a K, you just put an LS into it. There's no other reason to swap any other engine than those three. Are your future children going to have power wheels powered by, like, 13 Bs? Because you could physically fit a rotary into it? <laughs> no, because I don't want them to be crippled. <laughs> so, 
They, they would literally die. Anyway, let's move on to your second Sounds topic. good. I want to talk about automatic transmissions. Okay. Really? Okay. Well, I imagine you're probably leading to something like really monumental, like the, that Toyota's, or GM's junked all their automatics and it's going back to the power glide. Well, that would be pretty cool. No, I actually want to, in fact, I have a link for this story, so I'm going to bring it up too. Uh, but uh, the BMW M2 recently swapped over in moniker. It's called the M2 Competition now. And it has a very, 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 very slightly detuned version of the M3 M4 engine instead of the tuned up version of the 340i engine. You know, whenever I see an M2, because yeah. I don't look at BM- modern BMWs that much, I get excited because they come in like that color. I go, oh, is that a BMW yeah. 1 Series? It's like and then a... I go, oh, no, it's not a 1 Series. Uh, what was the color of my Z3? Sienna Red. It's, yeah. like, it's like Sienna Red on a modern car. But anyway, the last like 10 years, and I've even talked to people at BMW, and by talked to, I mean like razzed until they leave the room, basically. They're like, why don't you give us the manual transmission in these cars anymore? They're like, well, some of it's CO2, and a lot of it's just efficiency and speed. Like, people just want the fastest shifting, most efficient, blah, blah, blah transmission. And I'm like, you know, I kind of get that. But, like, just do that in your least special cars and still give us the fancy cars with the with manual. With the manual, yeah. Which, I mean, BMW is, to their credit, and this is the only thing I can currently credit them for, they still offer, like, three really good vehicles with the six-speed. The M2 Competition's one of them. Uh, car and Driver actually just tested the competition. Yeah. The manual's actually faster than good. the dual clutch. So That's a six-speed manual is faster than the, uh, I think it's an eight-speed dual clutch now. Weird. Having eight gears and the extra, like, 200 pounds floating around might make your car slower. That's right. odd. I honestly think it's due to the weight. Yeah, probably. The, that transmission is really heavy. Well, it's like uh, I've always said, like... It's... And, like, this engine has just a plateau for a torque curve. Well, this is this is exactly why you see, like... Go back to Honda for a minute. Mm-hmm. I compare them to BMW. This is why you see Honda's, like, you know... A thirty-year-old economy car shooting on a, a guy with an M3 at a racetrack. Yep. Yeah, it's because it doesn't weigh anything. Yep. Like power can, to weight. Yeah, you can make a hundred and sixty horsepower, the fastest one hundred and sixty horsepower you've ever seen, if the car weighs eighteen hundred pounds. Well, that's like even the the old element. It was like when I stripped that thing down. I bet if I took that thing out on the street, it would have been really fast. Yeah, it probably would have broke all four all four tires loose. Yeah. Right. So. I just I, I I understand why they have to do it because of fuel economy standards and CO two is a really big thing for car manufacturer. When you put it on this kind of scale, when you have that many cars coming out, fine, but offer the manual because I think they what they said they ran this around a three point four mile test circuit, and yeah, it was faster with the six speed. Well, there you go. You're everybody with automatics says the car is faster. It's just not true. Pathetic automatics gum Facebook group. Yes, exactly. Manual elitist jerks will be very happy. Yes. Um, and I am too, because that's one of the few cars on sale today that's worth buying. So funny enough, um, speaking of automatics, yeah. uh, Josh and Anna, we've had Josh yeah. on. We need to have yep. Anna on. Um, yeah, where is she? Not here. Um, oh. But <laughs> their truck is down for the season because Josh has blown up his like eighth uh, TH400. Really? Yeah. Is that recent? Uh, it just happened this week, yeah. Oh, okay. It's like 8th or ninth. It's insane. Like, I was going to say, I saw like, some fab photos last week of his exhaust manifolds, but apparently that got in, and then they ran it, and now it's dead again. Yep. Okay. Uh, so they're finally going with a power glide, the way they should have gone. Yay, power glide. 
Is that, this, is that all you wanted to say? That's all I wanted to say. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's like, it, the only, it, it just goes to say, everything should be manual. If you absolutely 100% need an automatic, the power glide exists. Yep. Use a power glide. Other Otherwise, than that, you've use got a manual. The, you've got the Lenko, which is for if your car makes more than 2,500 horsepower. Yeah, which is and also, also basically... also all manual. It just yeah. doesn't use, pla- uh, doesn't use like separate gear sets. It uses friction bands and levers yeah like it is still absolutely a manual transmission yes but anyway yeah so i'm in agreement the power glide like that's the only on mac that should ever exist like if you have enough power like when was the last time you like you drove a car and then okay it was a fine backup manual transmission car with a bunch of power you start in first if you rev it up to like four grand in first, you can just put it in sixth and then drive. Yeah. That's kind of like the essence of the power glide, except then you've got a non-locking torque converter, which yeah. takes up the slack of that like intermediate engine speed range. No, you're you're absolutely correct. So like a power glide with a locking converter, yeah, that's the only way automatic should ever exist. Yeah. Just give me a, a gear where I can take off fairly quickly and, and then, a cruising gear. And the, and that's how that's what the power glide is, and it's made for that. And the beautiful thing is, if you have a big fat power band of like twenty six hundred horsepower, and it starts at well, not even two thousand modern cars at four thousand, almost all force induction. Yeah, they've all got flat torque curves. Yes. It is perfect for a power glide. Yeah. don't give us a CVT, which tries to mimic basically what a power glide does, but yeah. breaks all the time. It is weak. Yeah, put you a power glide put in a there. G- where you can just like put tap water into it, run it for four hundred thousand miles, and it's fine. Exactly. That that's exactly what every car needs is a power glide. So anyway, I'm just really happy to make power glide transmissions for my Cressida. So you can just get an adapter plate. <laughs> they also make it for BMW 335s. There you go. Perfect. Just put <laughs> so, power glide at 335. Call today. My four thousand uh, dollar cheap turbo 335 build. Just like yeah, we also put a power glide. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Why? Because it won't break. Anyway. Eight thousand dollar transmission later. So. Uh, speaking of uh, BMWs and cars that are worth just like insane amounts of money, um, we're kind of coming right up to the beginning of like the big kind of end of the season. Uh, you begin to get all the auctions and stuff happening this time okay. of year. Uh, and I want to uh, talk about three cars worth buying now, and then some cars that you should absolutely sell right the fuck now, and then some to hold on to. So, uh, I think three cars you absolutely should be buying right now if, that people are not talking about but yeah. are just being slept on. The Mark II Supra, uh, the 3000 GT VR4, and then, like, the Boy Racer Hondas of the, like, late 80s till 2000. Mm-hmm. And my reason is the Mark III and the Mark IV Supras are going up in value. I really think the Mark III is going to have a bubble because the Mark III sucks. It's just a fact. That it's just it's worse in every way than all other Supras. Yeah, and I wish that weren't the case, but like it, things aren't arbitrary in cars. Yeah. Like there there are reasons behind what is and what isn't popular. Yeah, and it's like the the Mark III. Yeah, it does have a racing pedigree. That's true. The Mark III also has a pedigree for being really the outlier of the bunch or being the only unreliable Supra. And and that's not even necessarily always true because i mean that was the car that pioneered the jay-z engine at least in our market well, the mark three never not in our market didn't have the jay-z the mark three had the jay-z and the japanese market. we only had m engines here yeah seven oh, i M's. did not know yeah. that i figured it was just like the early turbo cars had the no, seven all M, the, then they, they all had seven the m's 
in Wait, America. Wait, didn't get 1Js here in the U.S.? Yeah, no. They made really? the, they made They pioneered the 1J in that car. So if you have a Japanese 1J third-gen Supra, huh. then yes, by all means, that's a car oh, that's worth a great buying. car. As long as the R154 can take the power, because that was before they had the V160 trans. Yeah, and it's questionable, but yeah. It, power Glide. Power Glide, yep. <laughs> Which they also make a swap kit for that, just so they you know. They absolutely use do. the same one that yep. you would use in a Cressida. And that's one of the right cheapest now. Power Glide adaptations out there, because they sell so many Power Glides for yeah. Jay-Z Bellhouse. Exactly. <laughs> uh, another one is the 3000 GT VR4. Spider or Coupe? Either one, okay. specifically the Spider, because those spider, are really rare. Um, I really like those. In yeah, fact, it's, that's something I should probably look at. But I would highly recommend buying that. Can that you imagine working on a 3000 GT VR4? Probably just as hard as your Ferrari. I don't want to do that. Well, you just get a low, uh, low mile one. But, I mean, just get it and don't use it. But that retractable hardtop is so cool. Yeah, no, it's got retractable hardtop. It's got four-wheel steering, active aero, mm-hmm. uh, twin turbo, variable valve timing, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it has every... All those weird, stupid vents that are on a... We saw the M2 competition... Yeah, on the screen. So why, why don't you throw up a 3000 GT uh, spider? Because <clears throat> all those, all these stupid vents that are on the 3000 GT, uh, sp- like the 3000 GT of any variant, every single one of those dumb vents does something. It's like those little vents in the doors, those actually cool down the I'm going to pick a white one breaks. so we can actually see it. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a two. No, no, that's way too small. That's way too small. It's 200 by 400. Doesn't matter. Get that red one. Get it's the red on one. on the stream. You can't see it. Sure you can. Oh, it looks awful. Anyway. Yeah, but it's on the stream. Like, look at the look at what it looks like on OBS. It's fine. Yeah, it looks fine. All right. Anyway. <laughs> so those vents behind the in front of the rear wheels do yep. something. Those vents in the uh, front bumper do something. In the door, you notice the door the, the it's, scallop. There's that little scallop thing. That's actually an air outlet for the front brake. Huh. Like every single vent in that does something. It's really, really, really cool. And even like the placement, the angle of the uh, the turn signal is designed so it'll blow air over the mirrors, and that yeah. will provide a slight amount of downforce. So it's like those cars are really, really innovative. And like 1989, when that came out, that was doing stuff that BMW it was doing 30 years later. I was gonna say like with the E90, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. That, this so is, 2008. Yeah, it's really <laughs> insane what that car was doing. Uh, and you know what? That car. It provides. It's really, really, really heavy. It is a heavy pig of a car. It and makes two hundred really not that reliable. But and they make two hundred eighty horsepower, like all the Japanese muscle cars. Two seventy six. Right? Yeah, yeah, same thing. Well, actually, they lied, and they, the Japanese ones actually made three twenty. Well, there's um, there's SAE and DIN, and then everyone lied on top of that. So yeah, basically. Really so just say about two eighty. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that even with all that, it's zero to sixty time was actually faster than the base model R34 GTR. Jeez. So, um, and you could do it with drop top fun. Yeah, it's like it's absolutely worth that it. It reminds me of a 1950s Ford retrack where the entire back end comes open yeah. to hold the retractable hard top. The uh, Skyliner, I think like, is what it's called. It was a Fairlane retrack? Yeah, Fairlane Skyliner, I think. My um Maternal grandfather had one while I was growing okay. up. It's oh, such cool. a cool yeah, car. Yeah, they were super cool. But it was a one-piece hardtop yeah. that went into the trunk. And the front piece just, like, bent down a little. Yeah. No, this was a one-piece top. No, I mean, the front end of that top, it just it 
it angles itself oh down yeah like that. yeah there was it, no, no piece. trunk no nothing yeah. i mean this was like the and it was an oddly shaped rear end because of how huge the hardtop was but yeah i love super that yeah, cool. that's a super cool car imagine having that in the 50s so all right so this is the thing with this one is a supra is a hundred and fifty hundred and seventy thousand dollars so yep these are still twenty thousand dollars a supra is better but is a Supra really, like, can you say with any form of like, seven times better than this car? No. I mean, it's like the 500E versus the Tesla. Like, it, yeah. It's... But this versus Z32 300 ZX Twin Turbo, they're both really hard to work on. And that's probably another one that you would recommend for for being that car that you I should pick I didn't pick one for my three. For that? But it would have been my fourth. That would have been your fourth? That's yeah. fair. That's fair. So, and then actually my third are the, yeah, the 80s and 90s Boy Racer Hondas. Um, oh, wait, does this have to be just JDM? No, no, no. It just happens oh, to be what I was talking about. Um, so the 80s and 90s Hondas, a lot of people are still kind of sleeping on those. And you can still pick them up, like, really, really, really cheap. Like, really cheap in good condition. Mm-hmm. If you, like, look in, like, Pacific Northwest or, like, out in the middle of nowhere where it's, like, some grandma has it. And, like, not just, like, the EM1s that we hear about or the Integra Type R's, but Integra GSR's. The Civic SIs, like the non EM1, so the EGSI, the, the EFSI. Like nice, like the same body as the EM1, but the EX with a manual. Like That's know, still that's a really still good car. Pretty good yeah. car. Well, even like a EG like sedan, the least desirable of the bunch, like that's still a pretty cool car. It's a great place to put a K series and have some Exactly, fun. yeah. <laughs> um, but like. Yeah, I would say, you know, my, the one I would say to buy because people are sleeping on it are the EG uh, EX sedans. Or not sedans, coupes. The EG coupe, the Fast and Furious one. Um, and then I would say the um, EG SI is another one. We never hear about that. And that one's, like, really highly sought after. So EG is the one that was, like, the that late was 90s? A, that, 92 through 95. Okay. Yeah, so those I ones they are, made an SI in that. They did, and that was a, uh, a rare it was car. a single is a D sixteen Z six. The most That's desirable. a good head, though. Yeah, yeah it's a good. It, well, those are ones you can't even find them because they've all been raced, crashed, and stolen. Yep. Every Sounds single like one of them. Honda. So if you can ever find an EG SI, I've never seen one condition. of those, let alone a stock one. I've seen a few. Like I've I've seen like I remember like back in the day, like when I got street racing, where there were a dime a dozen. But they all had like rustles the size of my hand in the fenders. Like, they're <laughs> my only car, man. They were really, really terrible. But um, I think I've seen maybe one EGSI in the last probably eight years. Hmm. So it's maybe a better thing to recommend than the EM1 because everyone knows about. Everybody that. knows the EM1. You can easily identify EM1. EGSI is super slept on, and those ones I would highly recommend if you can find that. Huh. Um. Also, we you can't forget about the. Uh, they're a little bit different, but the first generation Integra and the first gen or in the uh, third generation Civic. I do remember the first gen Integra with pop up headlights and yeah. super boxy. There was one that was in my uh, neighborhood growing up, and it never moved. Yeah, until those, one day it was gone. Yeah, and then those first generation CRXs and third gen Civics, you know, those ones were also the. They're not. They're not as easy to work with as the '90s ones. Mm-hmm. But a lot of early record setting was done with those. And if, like, a lot, like, the fastest cars, like, in 1995, 1996, were 80s-era Civics. So, you know, the the first, like, the first 10-second Honda was a, um, 
it was a 84 CRX turbo. So yeah, that, that'd be another one I'd recommend. What do you, what do you say for, so you would recommend an eighties and nineties keeping on the same kind of vein you're on. My first one's going to be E34 M5. So that's going to be 1989 to 1994. They are already appreciating, but not steeply enough where I would say avoid them. Yeah. I, I would just try to find a car that's been well looked after, but has some miles on it. Um, if you can find one that's a 93 or a 94, that's the way to go because they had a little bit more powerful engine, but it doesn't matter. Um, but those are the last ones to have the straight six, the big block straight six. Okay. Like the M1 engine, basically. Yeah. And that body style is just super classic. That's the one you've got downstairs. No, I've got an E39. Okay. Um, so the E34 was the earlier, boxier one. That can looks you more bring like it up on E30. the screen? Yeah, gladly. That's one of my favorite cars. So if I could find a reasonable one, I would still buy it. Unfortunately, though. Okay, yeah. The, and they did make the, a wagon one, which people import all the time. So if you can that's find a James one, that's Bond great. car, right? Uh, it's the Ronin car, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's where I remember it from. Uh, I did not mean to click on that. The copy image location is definitely what I meant to do. So, and they also made them in Daytona Violet, which is like the best that BMW color, actually, color. Right there. That is yeah. that color. That's a yeah. beautiful color, yeah. And that car, it's just super classy, and it is extremely capable, really reliable. Um, however, if you have one with engine problems, don't buy it, because like a basic rebuild on that engine is $16,000 now. So, yeah, okay. they, they don't make parts for it. Um, that's my first pick. They will follow the e28m5 they will explode in value someday they'll be worth unobtainable amounts of money but not yet because it's people my age that want them yes and i can't afford them which means most people my age can't afford them yet so on that same vein uh the lancia thema 832 we've oh, talked we've, about we've that, talked one, about that one a lot yeah that car is currently worth nothing it was a direct competitor for this m5 and but it's a front wheel drive ferrari basically yeah it was a five speed 308 yeah, with front-wheel drive. Right, which is not great. But you can pick it out cheap enough, and it's really interesting. And I guarantee you'll have one of, like, the first five in the country if you buy one this year. Yeah, that would be a really, really good car to buy, actually. That's a great buy. So That, I mean, that again, actually that was on my list, but I put that, like, fourth or fifth place. Again, I, there's a lot of stuff I would like to recommend, but I just... I, I picked a few that are just my knee-jerk reactions, and usually that's what I actually want. Like, you, you come into $10,000, and you need to put it into a car immediately. Yeah. 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 You I mean, you're going to be in it a little more with importing, but not much. Not much. It's worth stretching a little bit. Yeah. And my third one is a clean SW21 T-top turbo. Oh, yeah. Because I saw one. those are still worth nothing. I saw one that uh, was actually at one of my J&C meets. I, I do a bi-weekly Tuesday night meet at Louisiana Oaks Park in St. Louis Park. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for... Old Japanese cars. You can bring anything you want, but that's what we're gonna be talking. That's what people are there for. Um, and there's a guy that bought that brought his SW21 with him. Which, for people that don't know the uh, chassis is, connections, it's the 1991 to 1996 here Toyota MR2 Turbo. Yes, he brought or, one sorry, of those 2021s NA. And he had uh, really early Desmond Regamaster wheels, which um, I don't know what that is. It's a it just you should bring that up on the screen. It's like the I'm quintessential. Bring up the SW20, but not that. The Desmond Rega Master is like the quintessential five-spoke aftermarket wheel. Uh, it became the Mugen, or not the Mugen, the Spoon SW388s. But they're um, it's such a good-looking car. I know it's my first car. Well, I had an NA sunroof, but yeah, <laughs> same body shape, same wheels. So that's it. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. The second-generation MR2. I really do think that that is that is due. For that, its time in the limelight pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, that that is, it's the heaviest, it is the fastest, it is the best. 
It's the most comfortable for sure. It really is the best MR2. Yeah. Um, that that really is, and that's I like really kind of like the third gen. That's the one most people but. think of when you say yeah. MR2. No, I've got an MR2. Well. Yeah, 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 all right, SW20. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, cool. I had one of those in high school. It was cool. Yeah, that's but a this very, is the car very, that very people good car. had, and they couldn't modify because nothing existed to mod it. And then they sold it and got like a Honda. And these cars survived pretty well. There aren't a lot of these that are butchered. Yeah, that's very true. These are really good survivors uh, in the collector world. Yeah, I mean, in, from 1991, you had a two-liter, 200-horsepower turbo engine. Usually when you see them, they're red with, like, no clear coat Yep. at all. Yep. Uh, but, no, this guy, this guy's name's Hunter, actually. He's a really, really nice guy. He's from Texas or something like that. But he, um, yeah, his has, uh, his has it is red. It has clear coat, black interior. It's the most common one so mine was he yeah. de-riced it because the guy some guy put on like some like, horrible turbo kit on it and it was just like totally butchered imagine everything. trying to buy a factory ct26 turbo for one of these now yeah i know right like well there's probably one sitting in a barn somewhere that was taken off 20 years ago no but... you just you go with the aftermarket one that's roughly the same size it'll perform better it's a way better impeller on it so it yeah. schools yeah <laughs> what's well, our beautiful thing about these like japanese cars is like it's not like european cars where originality matters like, yeah. if you're close enough, it's fine. Yep. It's like a muscle car. I'm like, this is better. Yeah. It's got a GT28 RS. Like, you, like, you oh, make it yeah. a little bit better. Like, <laughs> yeah, a unmodified Hemi Kudo was, at one point was worth a million dollars. But, like, eh, eh, nobody cares. The one with like, the Hellcat motor in it, the manual's way better. Yeah, it, no, nobody cares about it. It's the fact that you, you can get in that car, turn it on, and go. It's a reliable, fun car. Yep. Um, yeah, it really is. They're great cars. And speaking of such, um, I do want to talk about some cars that you should absolutely hold um, hold on to right now. Okay. Um, actually, sorry, I want to talk about cars you should sell right now. Oh. Okay. Before we talk about things you should well, hold. You on start to. on that. I'm going to get a beer and pee. Yeah. Uh, cars that you should sell are absolutely, literally any '60s or '70s muscle car. <laughs> Just get out of them. Nobody wants them. They don't make sense. Your dad wants it, but he's going to die someday. Yeah, the only people that are interested in them really are baby boomers and Gen Xers, and they're right now either at their peak or past their peak. Um, you know, it's not to say that they're bad cars or anything. I mean, they are really, you know, there's some really cool ones. But at the end of the day, it's like, how many millennials identify with, you know, say like a 440 Magnum, you know, a Challenger? Like, not many. Like, does it look cool? Yeah. There's a handful, I'm sure, that will retain their value. You know, like I said, the Challengers, you know, maybe the Charger Daytonas, stuff like that will retain their value. But, like, if you're sitting there and you got a Cutlass 442 or you've got, you know, like any Chevelle other than a 69 or a a 70, you're in a tight spot. You know, GTO Judge, yeah, but, like, a normal Le Mans with a big engine, it's going to devalue. That's something that I would say get out of that now while you still can. Um, absolutely is just going to be a really awesome way to lose a bunch of money. Um, you know, it's almost, it's, some of them actually have begun even going down in value. Uh, weirdly enough, it's the Malays ones that are holding their value better than the other ones. So when you say Malays, do you mean like Mustang Two, or do you mean like on the borderline where it was the good '60s car, but it just had a restrictor plate in it? That one, yeah, the good '60s one. Those are the ones that are. I was saying like the really iconic ones and the Malays ones. I've seen to be the ones that are holding their value a little bit. Yeah, if you've got a '69 Camaro, keep it. But like, other yeah, than well, that's that. what I said. So like, so like the the GTO Judge, you know the. Uh, There's a few. Yeah, the GTO Judge, 
Charger Daytona, the Challengers. Those are uh, the ones that are going to be... Hemi Roadrunner. Yeah, exactly. Those are ones that are going to be worth the money. Yeah. But it's like, if you got like a Plymouth Satellite or, or like <laughs> you got a Le Mans or you got something where people don't know the name as well, like you're going to lose your shirt on that. And the thing is with the Malays ones, the early Malays cars, they just threw a restrictor plate on and a really restrictive catalytic converter. Those, those ones are going to be the ones that they didn't really appreciate ever. And millennials can actually get into that, so and that's you like can the fix closest. Them super easy. That's like the one I'd get. I'd say like, if you really, really, really want a muscle car, a '74 GTO, where it was based off of like that really awful '74, '75-ish like. Uh, I forget, I forget the, the model. Yeah. Yeah, but it, like if you get something like that, where it's just like a to- like one of the never worth anything muscle cars, those are the ones oh, to probably hold that's on. It's gonna to. drive me nuts if I can figure out what that was based on. Just, just type in 74 GTO. You can figure it out. I think it was a Chevelle, actually. Because I think they, like, malaise the Chevelle first and then made it smaller. Tempest. That's the Tempest, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, that car got, like, totally malaised. And yeah. then, then it was actually worth, you know, now it's worth something because they never appreciated it. And now it's, like, money else can get into it. And they actually are, like, cool, this muscle car for nothing. It's, I mean, kind of just, like, jumping on and looking at what has happened to segments in time of cars i mean look at pioneer look at pre-war look at like the wingadinga 50s cars yeah like the cars you actually can buy and it's a safe bet to hold it pretty much indefinitely is a period race car especially if it has pedigree any race cars any race car because like you see pre-war you see pioneer you bet your ass it is only at a racetrack yep it's true that's it how much is how much is a Model T worth these days? You know, it's like maybe sixteen thousand dollars. I was gonna say, I mean, you can get one that's like got rust in it, but works for like five, six. Yeah, like nobody really wants it. Like, yeah, I mean, like, okay, was that really worth like storing and keeping for a hundred years? Yeah, just so you could get like the price of a nice Samsung refrigerator out of it. Yeah, no, it's pretty not, much no. no. So uh, you got to be really careful about just buying a boring non-pedigreed, no-history version of a car of an era. And if you're okay losing your shirt on it and, like, it's a sentimental thing, fine. But so wh- we're here what's for a, appreciating what's, What is a car that you would say that people should absolutely get get out of, like, right now? Like, this car's on fire. Get out of it. Because it's going to lose So something shirt. that somebody's held on to and it something, is appreciated. Something that's at its anymore? peak and has nowhere left to go but down. Oh man, that's a really big question to just spring on me. I would say, probably coming back to the yeah the sixty eight sixty nine Camaro. If you've got a really nice straight muscle cars, you one know of what? one of those the the sixty nine muscle you, car. How do you feel about the get um? Get something else. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about the nine elevens? I was gonna say nine six four. The nine sixty four. But you missed your boat. That was about two years ago. Yeah. When, like, a Carrera 2 964 with, like, not a lot of history was worth 80 grand. Yeah. Now, now you can it's... get them into, like, the high 50s and low 60s again, which is kind of nice because yeah. they're really great cars. Th- that's a hold on to it because now you've lost your shirt. And it's... I got it. Yeah. 993. The 993s, the last if generation a, before. If you've got any clean manual 993, get out of Sell it. Sell right it right now. now yeah. yeah. Well, you still can. And just get something else. Get, like, yeah. a newer GT3 or something like that. Just save yourself a bunch of money. And then you can ride the... Oh, here's what you do. You sell your 993 and you buy a 996 GT3. 
and you enjoy it. Because you can still get a 996 GT3 for 40 grand. The 996 was the first generation water-cooled. It, yeah. That's Scott's. But yes. the GT3 ran the Metzger engine, which is the old air-cooled turbo engine with water jacket. So it's basically the supercar engine. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, that's absolutely what... As I say, like, what I would do is get out of your air-cooled 911 for a few years... Mm-hmm. Pick up a 996 or a 997. And you can do it with drive. a standard one, too. But yeah. the GT3 will will appreciate. Yeah. Get into your 996 and 997 for a few years. People who still want 911s. They won't be able to afford any of the air-cooleds anymore. So they'll go to a water-cooled. But I'm talking a car that has can, appreciated. Yeah. They've, wrote, they've ridden it up, and they want to get out of it and get into something else that's still appreciated. Yep. You just and you that ride the next wave. Yeah. Specifically, 997 GT3s are already unattainable. Don't look at them. Nine nine six GT threes are still are... really reasonable, and they are the same car. There you go. Well, that that's actually a top tip. There that's you go. a really good top tip. Go buy a nine nine six GT three if you can find one, because they are great cars. What about cars to hold? Because I've got three. I'll let you think about that. But my three right now, uh, E thirties. E thirties are yeah. Don't that's hold a good on. One. Don't try to get into an E thirty right now. You you can't. Um, the Nissan S thirty. It's a two forty two sixty two eighty Z's. Just you're, you've missed your boat on that. And then actually the 50, 50s, any car from the 50s, literally any single one, because that car has completely exploded in value. Mm-hmm. It's now completely come down. And it's never going to go back up again. Like, it just won't. There's not anyone. Maybe, like, if there's some, like, weirdo, like, Plymouth that nobody in the world knows about that is suddenly discovered by the public, that might be worth something. But as a whole, 50s cars... I'm writing them off. They're not worth anything anymore, especially American ones. You know, maybe Japanese ones might go up. So if you if you really want something that you can drive it back to the '50s, you want to try to make some money on yeah. it, go find yourself like a 1958 Toyota Crown. Yeah. Or a 1958 Corona. Something that you could actually use more than one day a year, which it, would be kind of nice. And something that's not worth so much money that in. Nobody can attain it. These are, you know, really the only 50s era car I could ever think of being worth more money than it currently is now is old Japanese cars because nobody thought about them. And old British cars, too. Well, British cars, they had their moment. I think they're going to have a comeback, actually. Is yeah, that... but you think of, like, a, I forget the name of the sedan from, like, 1958. Really... Oh, their sedans. Not, not their roadsters. Uh, just the roadsters in the '60s, yeah, but the sedans in the '50s were the precursor to those with yeah. all the technology. Yeah, so like the Jaguar, like XK, not like Mark Nine or whatever. Yeah, the yeah the Mark Eight or whatever the hell yeah. it was. I think it's a Lincoln, but you know what I mean. The sedan where like everyone had them. They had disc brakes. They had a 3.8 liter inline six. They were fast. They were pretty reliable. Yeah, like and they the, look good. Like the Jaguar Mark II. That's another good example. Maybe yeah. it's that. Even I don't know. But that—that's what I would say. If you're going to buy a car from the '50s, either I guess buy a clean Tri Five, but that's kind of played out. Well, or... no, those—that—that's when I hold on to it because like that's not going anywhere. Like that price is going to be that price for the rest of the time. That's true. That's like it—it it peaked and it—it it went down and then it stayed there, like where it is. <laughs> like if you're looking to make money on Tri Five, you can find a time machine until like 1991. That's yeah, that's true. That's before I even paid attention to cars. Really, is when those had their their time in the limelight. Yeah. And so, I, and I also think the E30s are, you know, we love them here. They're really yeah. good cars, but it's like they've. They're but they're so, definitely in the the stagnant area right now, and I don't know what direction they're going to go. I'm guessing still up, but I think they're going to. They had a huge rally like a couple of years ago where yeah. clean 325 eyes went from like 3500 to 6500, yes. all the way up to. 
nine is base now for a decent yeah. 325. No, it up is. Up to like 12, right. 13, 14, 16 for well, one you don't have to worry about. What I'm afraid of, the E30 M3, absolutely 100% that's worth gone. that money. Yeah. Like, that's a car that's where it's worth it. But what I'd be, if I was the owner of a 325ES or something, yeah. I'd be very afraid for the value of my car. I don't think I would because there are always, always going to be people that lost it after the M3, missed the boat, yep, and, and they still want can't afford a 325iS. But the thing is, you have to really look at the other cars in the world yeah. and say, yeah. oh my God, is a 190e really that much worse than this? Is It is. But Or like, is a, like, importing a... Skyline sedan, really that no, much worse. I mean, yeah, like think it's, about that. but that's the thing is like you like your yeah. your average buyer. Like, would you take an R thirty two GTST or would you take a clean eighty six ES I'm like GTST every day? Yeah, exactly. For the same price. Yeah, for the exact same price, yeah. and that's what I'd be afraid of. Um, but as I think as a whole, as a whole, hold on to your E thirties right now, and then watch that market like a hawk. And once you see them take any sort of dip, get out of it. Or if they go up, cool. Now you're you just hold it even yeah, more. It I'd makes say that's money. fair. Like if you're on the fence about whether or not you should sell your thirty, just don't. But then if you see movement, then do. And then my last one, the Nissan S thirty chassis. The reason I would hold that is uh the two forty Z is the only one where it is actually really amazing. The other two, the two sixty Z and the two eighty Z, yeah. Those ones were really good because they were the best thing you could get during the Moyes. And that's why people like them. That's just it. I mean, the and every single one of those has just exploded in value because of the 240. And don't get me wrong. The 260s and 280s are still really awesome cars. It's just every single one that is at its peak has been converted over to carburetors and had the cat removed. Yeah. Like, people trying to, like, retro. They're all retrofitted. Yeah, retro dating or whatever you call that kind of shit. And, um... Yeah, like the the S30s, like you're not gonna be able to find many cheap ones. You know, a lot of people play themselves. They go, "Ah, dude, I made a 280Z two plus two for like nothing. It's gonna be two thousand dollars." Until they find out, it's literally, it's worth nothing. Every single part of that car is a completely different vehicle. Control mm-hmm. arms, body panels, nothing fits. The only thing that fits is the engine and the transmission. Yep. Like everything else is different. And those are the parts you don't care about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like, great, it's an L28. Yeah, like those awesome. parts. Awesome. Like, if you want one to modify. The 2 plus 2 is a great car. Yeah, I guess if you're going to make a race car out of it or something. No, or like if you're just trying to like make like stupid fast and like you don't want to like ruin Wasn't something that the that's old collectible. Club guy who ran a 280? No, it was a 280ZX. Oh. Okay. And then when they did the Wine God Midnight anime, because the 280ZX is really homely to look at, they made it an S30. But, yeah, I'm um, going to pull up a 280Z 2 yeah. plus 2. This is honestly the only one I could say that's worth getting into because yeah, there you go. Perfect. That these cars are just not desirable at all. Yeah. They're not desirable at all. Uh, desirable at all. They never will be. Mm-hmm. And now you can just, you, you can, you can fuck around with it and do whatever you want and yep. not worry. And then when it dies, you just throw it away. Yeah. It, and then go get any other chassis. Cause you're not going <laughs> to find another one. Like, if you want to build, like, an L28 to, like, make 350 horsepower all motor, like, that's the one to do it in. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to be ruining a collector's item. And you're yeah, not going to be, like... Base, which is nice. So. Yeah, it's actually easier to live with. But, I mean, the car also... To be honest, it does not look right. No, I no, think, it doesn't. I think that if the two... If the normal ones didn't exist, 
this card be a really cool like footnote of like look at this weird two plus two that Nissan made. It's kind of cool. The two plus twos have always been like if you only ever saw that you're like oh whatever. Yeah. But, like when you see the two door like oh yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. Like that the the two door is the way to go. But well I mean the two seater I guess. Yeah. The, well yeah no sorry the two seater yeah. Uh but all right let me move on to mine then. Yeah. What's yours? Uh so hold cars. Mercedes R129 SL. Yep. Yeah. They have not had their value improvement yet, and they will. That was a car that was made for 13 years. I think another thing is don't don't go out of your way to get into them. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Because there's so many different variations, and it's only the really, really good ones that are going to be worth money. Yeah, you do. You do. You, okay, here's what you want to buy. You want to buy a 1989 to 1992 300SL 5-speed. Yep. Or you want to buy a 1996 or newer 600. Yep. Or you want to buy a 99 or newer 500 silver arrow. Yeah. That's really all you want to buy. Or I guess the AMG version. Yeah. Well, yes. The yeah. the, the specialty tuning house ones, that goes without saying. So the SL60, the SL73, yeah. if you can find one of those for a reasonable price, just buy it because they're great. But yeah. I'm talking like reasonable, attainable, if actual market-wide like cars. SL500. It's just... I mean, the the early SL500s had way more power, the pre-1996 yeah. cars, because they had the old M119 engine. Yeah. But the maintenance isn't worth it. Yeah. So, And there were AMG versions of the 500 as well, where they put the hammer engine in it and all that kind of stuff. Like, those are cool. You could look at that. But really, my my advice is if, if you're getting into it on kind of the low end of the market, find yourself an early six-cylinder five-speed car, because they're the best. Yes. If you got a little more money to spend... Get yourself a uh, late model, 99 to 02, 500 Silver Arrow. You can find them with some miles for So what's special about the Silver Arrow? Uh, it had, like, updated headlights, taillights, bumpers, interior. The, t- the interior was uh, a two-tone black and silver. And it okay. carried over to the steering wheel, too. I should see if I can find it, actually. Uh, they were they're really cool looking. They had some special wheels. Uh, but it was, like, the last couple of years of the SL500. Yeah, that looks really good. That looks really good. The, this is one of the cars where, like, they made changes to it over the 12 years, but it just got better and better. Because, like, an O2 Silver Arrow is pretty much the peak. They did make a 600 Silver Arrow, but it's really rare. So look for a 500. They're fine. It's It's got the Chryslerified V8, but, like, they had that thing in production for, like, 30 years, so it doesn't matter. So that's a good buy. If you can afford a little bit more, find yourself a really clean 600. I would say 600. Plus. Yeah. But if you can find yourself a 99 plus 600, it's got the updated bumpers and the taillights with the exposed exhaust. And you can find a 600 Silver Arrow. Well, that's they, that's so the one to buy. I know, like, with the MLs and stuff, they had awful interiors because of Chrysler. Did these cars suffer from the Chrysler, Denver Chrysler no. thing? Because everything was already no. designed, really. Yeah, I mean, they, they changed the seats in 96, and yeah. they changed a lot of the interior materials, but they did nothing but make it better. Okay. So, uh, the only go. thing I really hate about the update was they went from a conventional radio with wires to an updated one with fiber optics. Nope. Wouldn't so they work that. great. They don't fail, but you can't change the radio on a 96 and up Mercedes SL. So that is something that you really have to look out for. Get the but, upgraded I mean, audio system because it's actually okay. Yeah, I just... Ugh. But anyway, the, the early there's, the early there's ones, I, I just I have a hard time like recommending any sort of any, like 93 and newer, or 94 and newer 
Mercedes. Well, and the the early 600s and 500s had that four-speed auto, which, like, it's a solid trans, but don't buy it. Like, the, the 96, the reason why I say that is the, the engine computers went to full sequential injection okay. and ignition. <laughs> And they put the five-speed auto in it. Way better, yeah. Which is way better. It's got adaptive shifting and all that stuff, so you're not going to want to kill yourself driving it. Yeah, whereas the four-speed is like definitely a slush box with a 12-cylinder in front of it. Yeah, I think they, they made a variant for the five and 600s that were electronically controlled, but this was a mechanical four-speed auto. It was a 722-4-something. And that, they, yeah, if we, or, we should note the yeah. mechanical four-speeds are usually more reliable. but They are, but in this case, it this five-speed... It, that that's a transmission that was in production on like the 65 AMGs until a couple of years ago, and it's still in production for Chrysler now. And Mercedes isn't known for having transmission issues. No, they're known for having all sorts of other issues, namely like air suspension and the transmissions. Of that five-speed auto is really solid. Yeah. So, so and then at the end, our thing um, on these SLs, uh, I know we got hammered when we sold ours at work because we didn't have any record of the wiring harness having been replaced. Pre '94 only. Yes. So 94 and up, they switched it. So 95 you, and up. They're not the biodegradable. There you go. So up until 94. Yeah. So you want, really, the later ones are the better to get. If you find I a love... screaming deal on a 93 600SL, do not buy it. Yeah. That, that's going to be very the most expensive car in the world. Well, it's one of those things where um, the most expensive Mercedes is the cheapest Mercedes. Yeah, there, there's just no such thing as a cheap one of these. Like not like a properly cheap one. Yeah, so if I'm you like, see you one for like twelve hundred to... bucks, like raise Budget all the red flags. Budget at least ten grand for a nice one twenty nine. Yeah, but like you can you can get almost anything I just mentioned for ten grand right now. Yeah, so there you go. That's there you go. Really, so that's my first really pick. Deal. Second one, BMW E thirty one. And well, that's we should also note that these are hold cars. That one twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, 129. Those ones, I you they're not out, you, they're not changing in value enough for yeah. I want to say to buy it yet. But you'll have a really good car to own, right? Yes. So I mean, the other ones find you, a solid one now, just use it. The normal ones, would you put those on sale? Or just, uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, just get, get rid of your other. Yeah, because there will be they've be, come up a little bit. So yeah, you're, you're gonna do okay right now. Yeah, you're gonna do okay right now, and they'll come down. Mm-hmm. So the 500 SL, the number first car. Yeah. Or the, the biodegradable wiring harness. And, like, yeah, that the, one's the peachy one, if you, if you just don't care, but you don't really want to throw a billion dollars at it, get a 95, 500, or a 320. Yeah. Because those don't have the biodegradable harnesses. They still have the four-speed auto, but, like, that's fine. Yeah. And it'll be okay. But that that's my first one. The second one, BMW E31. So the 850 and the 840. Those are currently still hold cars, unless you get a CSI. Um, they're appreciating, but they're... Just like the SL, they're right in the middle. They hit their little bump, and now they're just flat. So I think they'll go up more. They will, hundred um, percent. Because, but it's, you have to be careful what you're buying. Yes, you really do, because that is a minefield. Because those cars have been unappreciated for tw- the better part of twenty years, and there is a reason. Yes, because the early eight forties had cylinder delamination problems, and it's really hard to tell if your car has had it fixed or not. You, know I would say, just don't get an eight cylinder. Just don't. I will agree with you 100% on that. The only caveat I would say is if you can find a 1997 840 with the five-speed Steptronic trans, that's fine. Mm. That's the only 840 you should buy because you know it's not going to have any of those cylinder DLAM problems, and it's got the super rare Steptronic trans. So that's something that the people that like have bad hips and stuff are going to look for, but that's okay. it. Other than that, you buy yourself a 6-speed 850i 
that's had top end gaskets done. Yes, that is. And if you can afford to buy a CSI, but a CSI is not a hold car. That's a buy if you can find one for a reasonable amount of money. Because yeah. those things, they're already six figures. If you can find one less than that in reasonable condition, just buy so, it. So yeah, the E thirty one is definitely a hold. Well, it's because you know it's one of those cars where. We don't know what's going to happen with it because I think that they are going to go up, just not right now. It's like the SL; it will go up, but like they're just not the, the the people that are willing to spend that money on those cars to really kick off their resurgence in value. Yeah. They don't have money yet. Yeah, well, not only that, but also there's such a variance in the quality of the cars. Like yes, I can't, I can't say like but... I can't say that go out and buy an E31 because it's going to be a good car. Like because the vast majority of them are horrible decisions. Yeah, like the really good ones are gonna go like up one. in value. The normal ones are gonna stagnate to oblivion because or lose value. Yeah, like you can't get parts for them anymore. So if you get one with like a ratty interior, you're you're hosed. Well, it's like one of those things where it's like, what what's gonna make this car worth money is Radwood, the Radwood generation, the generation of car enthusiasts that are buying the '80s and '90s cars because mm-hmm. this is a car. That takes the best of both worlds. You have the beautiful early 90s BMW interior. You have the pop-up headlights, which mm-hmm. scream 80s. It's angular, but not yep. too angular. Right. It, this is but like, it has working air conditioning and heated yes, seats. And it has R134A. Like, it's amazing. Well, this, this was an R12 car, but it has been converted. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> the, some of them were R134A. But it's one of those cars where, you know, if you want a GT car yeah. and you want to take it to Radwood... Mm-hmm. There's a hell of a lot worse you can get than an E31. And it's one of the few early 90s cars, like especially like a Luxo Barge, that I, like, I could hop in that car right now and drive it 2,000 miles. Like I'm not worried about it. Yeah, especially with the 12-cylinder. And it's... The people rag on that 12-cylinder for being unreliable. It is the most reliable early 90s BMW engine. Yeah, and I think the 8-cylinders are awful, but the 12-cylinders are... The 12-cylinders are the one they go There's with. only one issue that happens to some of these. Where Which the is? The cylinder heads are oiled over top of the camshafts with an oil bar. Yeah. That's fastened to the cylinder head through banjo bolts, hollow bolts, yeah. from the factory that didn't tighten them enough. So if okay. your car's ever had valve cover gaskets done at a reputable shop, they've tightened them. This had valve cover gaskets done it, or just before I bought it, so I know they've tightened those banjos. Yeah. These engines have no other issues. So Other they, than, I guess, the throttle motors. You have to like rebuild them every 160,000 miles. Jesus. And then do the synchronization procedure, which requires no special tools. That That's nothing. That's literally nothing. But, so there you go. That's a really, really perfect example of a hold car. The whole because car. you have that... You, you, have a, you have a car that can have the potential of being really, really, really good. Or a car that can just completely just stagnate, or even you well, could lose like, your shirt on it if you get the wrong one. It's like the SL. It's if you buy the right one, you can buy it relatively inexpensively. You can enjoy the hell out of it, not worry about it, put miles on it, and not lose money. And in the future, if you hold it for a while, you will make money on this car. Yeah. So just it, be just careful about what just you buy, it. but it's a whole car. My yeah. third one, since in the interest of time, we're already at an hour and ten, but I'm not worried about it. Um, I just want to touch on this briefly, and that's an odd choice for me, but the second-gen F-150 Lightning. That's the Fast and Furious one, right? Yeah. The round one? Yeah. yeah. So if you can find one of those, stock condition with no issues, nothing else matters. Not appreciated really yet, but I bet it will. I bet it will. You know what? I, I wouldn't actually move that into buy category. Maybe. Yeah, I'd, maybe, maybe I'd, it's I'd put that on buy. I would, I would I'd put that on buy because... Um, Looking at the kind of how these cars are selling, yeah, uh, the one that I'd probably say hold on if there's an American 
full-size sports truck from the 70s or not 70s from the 90s that i would hold on chevy uh F, or uh, sorry <laughs> f-150 the the, the uh, ford f-150 lightning first generation that and the 454 ss chevy actually no funny enough the 454 ss is going up in value that's what i get into right the fuck now yeah the first I would Gen absolutely. Lightning is a fascinating truck. It's not that good, but it's fascinating. So the the 454 SS is like those are blowing up. Right I want to say people don't buy a 454 SS, don't buy a first gen Lightning because they're not actually good vehicles. They suck. They totally suck. The second gen Lightning is actually an okay truck. Well, that's the same. Buy it now. Wait for it to stagnate in like two years, and people find out that it's not that great, and then sell it. Yeah, that's I what I would do. I mean, you could try to ride the curb, but I, I wouldn't suggest that. I would buy it's, a second gen for the same money yeah. and enjoy it because it's got electronic fuel injection, it's got air conditioning, it's got the one of the first years of the new the '97 F-150. You know, everything, the ecosystem yeah, the, of that thing. And that ethos it, yeah. lasted until, like, early 2010s. So, like, it was a solid platform. The 97 F-150 was a pretty decent truck. It was. I, the panel gaps were really yeah, disgusting. They're not, they're not they're well to put at. together. They're really hard to look at. But it's but a solid truck. They're really good trucks, yeah. So, hard go. to look at, but good. Yeah. Yes. It's something I would consider having, even and though it's really that bad. the vast majority of them have been used up as gardening trucks already. So... Yeah, you're, it, it's either you're going to find one that's obviously terrible yep. or you're going to find one that's obviously good. Yeah. That's a really good one to you hold on to. You just want to find one that's been used yeah. a bit and it's a survivor. It doesn't matter if it's been parked outside and the paint's screwed. That's one of those cars where you can repaint it and you don't lose value. No, like like the it's paint's fine. awful already. It's an F-150. Yeah, yeah like you're going cares. to improve it by repainting it, I promise. Yeah, exactly. Just make so sure you paint it red. That's a wonderful hold car, not... Not anyway. necessarily go out of your way to buy, but if you have one right now, like it, that's gonna be a really, really awesome. I try to throw some weird years. stuff in there. So that's a it's a good weirdo one. Anyway, should we back to news? Should we? Uh, well, actually, I'm wondering, should we just throw these two news topics into the next episode? Sure. So, yeah, we can do yeah, that. Yeah, we We're do already that. at an hour and ten. You're an hour and ten. I don't want to take up your whole life, everyone. Um, so yeah, we'll have uh, we'll talk about some more news stuff. And it uh, is done. Yes, on episode <laughs> one sixteen uh, on Wednesday, um, and then maybe. 117 possibly if we can get darren darren our guest that we had scheduled he was supposed to be in but he had a flat tire and he's moving to seattle and his whole life's tipped upside down right now so if he can find a way to get to us or we can get to him or we'll record it at some point we, we'll, so. we will do our best to record it if not you'll find him on the website he'll be doing some coverage from pacific northwest for us Thank you for listening, and uh, I, I sound a little bit less like Ben Stein. Yeah, you do. You sound actually pretty normal. I'm actually a little bit disappointed. I was really hoping to have a conversation with Ben Stein. So. <sighs> I'm sorry. I, I usually talk out of my mouth, not my nose. So, <laughs> I'm On that bombshell. Bad mental images. <laughs> we will see you guys later Thank in the week. You. Thanks for listening.